Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. You and I are not likely to go into a cage with a fully grown lion. But I tell you what we might do. We might go into a cage with a cub who doesn't yet know that is a lion. And I think there's an analogy there. Morally speaking, our children are like lion cubs. The full knowledge and the full expression of their lion nature lies further down the road. It's a wonderful time for us to affect them for God and for good. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, And today, Philip shares that when it comes to parenting, there are some timeless truths that should apply to every generation. It's a message called Keep Dennis from Becoming a Menace, Part 2, from the series titled That Makes Good Sense, a study on biblical wisdom. Later on, I'll tell you about two timely resources that will help believers apply biblical wisdom to their lives and to their children's. You can learn more at ktt.org. All right, let's get started. Here's Pastor Phil. According to the book of Proverbs, discipline is not an evil. It is a necessity in the light of evil. And it is actually an act of love towards our children. We love them enough when we discipline them. We love them enough to stand in their way. Lest, through an accumulation of mistakes left unchecked, by a permissive parent, they go on to make a more critical error that leads to the ruination of their life. Look at this verse, Proverbs 13, 24. It can't be any clearer than this. It just sits on the surface of the text. He who spurs his rod hates his son. Isn't that interesting? He who spurs the rod hates his son. Now, now conventional wisdom today says, Put the rod away. That's archaic. It belonged to a brutish age. Man is evolving. We're, we're moving towards a gentler, kinder view of things. Our children are not evil. Our children are good. And, and, and set in the right circumstances, they'll do the right thing. So put that rod away. If you love your child, put it away. The Bible says, no, bring it out. If you love your child, put it away if you hate them. Wow. The Bible can get you into trouble. I hope you know that. He who spurs his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And so here we have this fact. You and I have a basis for disciplining our children. Number one, they are sinners and need to be corrected. Number two, we understand that, and therefore we love them enough to stand in their way because they have destructive tendencies bound up in their heart. Spanking or corporal punishment is a proof of a parent's love. Because the parent knows, because they've lived long enough to know it, there is a price to disobedience. There's no bargain sins in God's universe. And therefore, they want to save their children for perhaps some of the pain that they went through because of their disobedience. And so they love them enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to let you do that. And some of them may out of experience say, because I did that. Let me tell you what it costs. And what I'm about to do to you is a small price to pay to save you from that kind of heartache. A parent who doesn't punish their children with a rod occasionally and when necessary shows a shameful lack of concern. 
I'm sorry to say that. If you disagree with me, I have to say, as far as the Bible is concerned, if you don't use a rod on your child, you're showing a shameful lack of concern for your child. And you're putting your child in harm's way. You've bought into a worldly model that you need to repent of. By the way, as I reflected on this, I'm sure you as a parent have found this. Isn't it rather strange that when you find yourself at that point where you're about to discipline your children, that that's when they want to express their love for you? Oh, Daddy, have I told you lately that I love you? (laughs) I love you, Daddy. Well, that's great. And I love you too, so bend over. (laughs) Because I love you enough to confront your sin. I, I, I need to set on these destructive patterns of behavior that God needs to eradicate by a work of His Spirit. I need to remind you, you're not autonomous. That if you give free reign to this disobedient, wayward heart of yours, hell is your destiny. Heartache will be my experience and the life of sorrow yours. So I love you too much to spur because of your crying. We are not to hold back because of our children's tears, because in the long run, we are saving them from a lot more tears. And you know what? There'll come a day, it won't, it won't happen when it's happening, but there'll come a day when your child will say, you know what, Dad, I'm thankful for what you did. We're moving on to a second thought, and this is where we'll just finish the rest of our time. We've got the basis, the depravity of the child, the devotion of the parent. Now we've got the beginning. Go back to uh, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spurs his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him. Look at the word promptly. You may have a version that reads it early. And that would be a, a very justified translation. In fact, the margin of the New King James translation tells us that uh, this word promptly can mean early. In fact, it is a Hebrew term that speaks at the dawn. And as the word evolved in terms of its usage, it came to mean going after something at an early age or pursuing something with a longing heart. And so this verse is encouraging us to discipline our children physically, early and earnestly. Spurgeon said, begin early to teach, for children begin early to sin. Great little statement. Begin early to teach, for children begin early to sin. You and I must begin to discipline our children, admonish our children at the earliest opportunity. We'll deal with this next time we look at this text together. But um, I get asked the question, Pastor, when should one start to spank? My answer to that is, as soon as the child is conscious of their disobedience, and you're conscious that they're conscious of their disobedience, it's time to spank. There's no set age, but it'll be early. A child quickly understands that it's doing wrong. And it needs to understand quickly that there's punishment to be paid for that kind of wrong. The Bible encourages us to begin the process as early as possible. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 18 as another example of what we're talking about here. Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on its destruction. That's a proverb that seems to hint at the fact there is a window of opportunity. There is a season where you need to um, 
Firmly and consistently discipline your child. Because there'll come a point, I believe it would be true to say, as they get into those later teenage years, where it would be inappropriate to spank. And you know what? We'll touch on this next time again. If you do your work well early on, you'll not need to spank as time goes by just as much. It'll become infrequent. And so you and I need to learn this, that we, we have a certain window of time. We have a limited opportunity. Children are like quick drying cement. We've only got them so long. We've only got so long to work with them. So get about the hard and happy business by God's grace eh, through God's strength of affecting change in them. Chasing your son while there is hope. When they're a teenager and then you waken up to the fact that you need to confront them, it's too late. I'm sorry, it's too late. And except by a marvelous demonstration of God's grace, you'll learn that it's too late. Too many Christians begin to discipline their children 16 years and 200 pounds too late. The Bible says early, promptly. Because if you postpone that discipline, your discipline later on will be ineffective. It's too late to try to make a difference after thousands of choices have gone unchallenged. Hundreds of hours of television have gone unchallenged, and years of secular education have gone uncritiqued. It's too late. You need to start spanking and speaking as soon as the child can be taught the difference between right and wrong and becomes conscious of right and wrong. That statement right there would, would turn a secular psychologist, you know, give them conniptions. But it's a fact, early, within those first couple of years, it's right to start spanking. Susanna Wesley, mother of Charles and John Wesley, is perhaps the classic illustration of what we're talking about. She believed that the assertive self-will of a child must be broken by the parent early on in life. She understood that foolishness was bound up in the heart of a child. Left to itself, shame would come to the Wesley home. So one of her rules in her plan of education was, quote, and I commend her to you women and mothers of the congregation and to the men, but especially to our uh, dear uh, women folk. She's a great example. Her writings are very helpful in this area. Here's what she said. When turned a year old, a year old and some before, they are taught to fear the rod and to cry softly by which means they escaped abundance of correction which they might otherwise have had. In order to form the minds of children, the first thing to be done is to conquer the will. The first time that child challenges you, the gauntlet's down. You need to recognize that moment in the child when the child becomes conscious of that and is conscious of what they're doing. It's time for the rod to do its work. And the sooner it does its work, the less it will have to do later work. So in the long run, you're actually saving your child, spanking and smacking. Because if you do it early, it will have its greatest effect. Solomon is not advising us here how to train a teenager or a young man, a child. And so you and I need to realize that children come with a stamp on them that says, yours for a limited time only. Now, I just want to stop here for a few moments and apply this a little bit further. So it, I reinforce to every mother and father gathered here with young children, 
Now is the time to do the hard work. This is not the time to be absent from the home. This is not the time to be on long business trips. This is the time for mom and dad to give a lot of attention to the children. I'm not sure that I believe in ADD in children, but I do believe it in parents. We have attention deficit disorders in parents. They pay little attention to their children, and that's why whatever medical term we want to give to it, these kids are out of control. It's not a chemical imbalance. It's a moral nature that's never been confronted early enough, consistent enough. Begin early. Save yourself a lot of heartache. The child will bless you for it. And the child's developmental stage is a wonderful time for you to begin that speaking discipline for a couple of reasons. Number one, what I call the compliance factor. The compliance factor. Now, I'm not going to take away in making this point anything from my previous thought concerning the reality of the depth and ingrained nature of our children's sin nature. But I want to say this, and I think it's a true statement. Childhood as an age is an age of relative innocence. Our children are not innocent. The Puritans called the children innocent vipers. They are not innocent. They have inherited Adam's nature. They are born in sin. They are shaping in iniquity. But in those early years, there is a relative innocence. That's why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you will say, I'll have no pleasure in them. The best time to, to direct and correct your child is before sin barricades that child's heart through years and years of practice. There's a relative innocence. Remember now, I says Solomon, your creator. This is an opportune moment in your life. Find faith before the world finds you, because when you're in the world, it'll try and rob you of faith. Look, here's the analogy I draw for you. You and I are not likely to go into a cage with a fully grown lion, even with a chair, a stool, and a whip, and a revolver. But I tell you what we might do. We might go into a cage with a cub who doesn't yet know that it's a lion. And I think there's an analogy there. Morally speaking, our children are like lion cubs. The full knowledge and the full expression of their lion nature lies further down the road. This is a great opportunity to to deal with them. Stephen Alford said, it stands to reason then that childhood is the age in which to teach the mind that has not been poisoned, to gain the ear that has not been deafened, to win the heart that has not yet been taken captive by Satan. Children are deeply impressionable, and first impressions are lasting impressions in the life of a child. Remember that case in Matthew 18, verse 3, where Jesus is teaching his disciples about humility and the need to to, to, uh, be poor in spirit so that they might inherit the kingdom of God. And he sets a child in the midst and he says, if you're going to enter God's kingdom, you need to become like a little child. He's pointing to the fact that children before adulthood are more naturally compliant and humble and submissive and teachable. And that being the case, it's a wonderful time for us to affect them for God and for good. On a negative 
side, yet with a positive application. The Jesuits of Rome, who are no friends of the gospel. In fact, the Jesuit order and the schools that were spawned from the Jesuit order were set in motion to counteract the spread of Protestantism in Europe. Blows my mind today when I hear of Christian parents putting their children in Jesuit schools. I think our fathers would, their heads would spin in trying to understand that. The Jesuits had a definite purpose, and that was to protect the Catholic Church against the inroads of evangelical Protestantism. And they used to claim, give us a child until they are seven, we'll do our work. Give us a child until they're seven. They knew this compliance factor. Give us a child in our schools, and they'll be Catholics for life. And you and I need to be aware of the compliance factor. Secondly, we need to be aware of the curiosity factor. The curiosity factor. It's tied into the point I've just made. Children are not only apt to listen, they're hungry to learn. They're not at that point yet called the teenage years when they think they know everything. Their minds are like sponges. Their eyes and ears are like motion sensors picking up everything around them. And you and I were wise, sensitive parents led by God the Spirit in conjunction with an understanding of God's Word. We're going to harness that natural curiosity and we're going to seek to answer biblical questions and, and give them biblical answers to life's questions. I won't turn to it, but you remember back in Exodus 12, verse 26 to 27? They're establishing the Passover, a memorial of God's deliverance out of Egypt. And, and the parents are said, you know what? As you enact this and reenact this every year, the children are going to say to you, Daddy, why are we doing this? And we want you to tell them, here's why, because God delivered you out of Egypt. Children love to ask questions. Turn those questions. Take those questions and instruct your children in the things of God. Never underestimate God's ability to develop spiritual character and to teach spiritual truth even at a very early age. Here's the final thought when we're done. The conversion factor. The conversion factor. Why should we begin early and promptly? Because our children are more compliant then. We can shape their lives more easily before the difficult days come. They are curious naturally, so we can, we can lasso that natural um, interest and rein it in for spiritual ends and the conversion factor. You won't be surprised to know that childhood affords us the greatest opportunity to win our children to Christ. The longer you wait, the less time they will have to repent in. The longer you wait, the more sins they will have to repent of. The longer you wait, the harder heart they'll have to repent with. We must be careful not to press our children into a premature decision, making the decision for them, badgering them unnecessarily. But we must endeavor to ensure that at the earliest age they have a clear, basic understanding of the basic tenets of sin and salvation through the substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ. There is legitimate child evangelism. In fact, research tells us that the majority of Christians were saved at the age of 18 and under. Remember the mothers brought the children to Jesus. And the disciples tried to bar their way. Jesus says, guys, get out of the way. 
Do not forbid the little ones to come. And in Matthew 19, 14, he says, because the kingdom of God belongs to them. For such is the kingdom of God. It can be rendered, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. Oh, parent, get about the hard yet happy work of disciplining your child, of training them up in the way that they should go, of praying to God that he might open their hearts to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, that they might come like Timothy at an early age to put their faith in Jesus Christ and be a witness for him and invest their lives for eternal good. A man came rushing up to a ferry. He was breathless after running at a terrific pace, but he got there just as the gate man shut the door in his face. The bystander remarked, you didn't run fast enough. The disappointed man answered, oh, I ran fast enough. I just didn't start early enough. I hope that's not true of any parents here. You might work hard at some stage, but if you didn't begin early enough, it could be very difficult to impact your child. By way of implication, that means that some of the most strategic, some of the most important, some of the most vital ministry that's going on is happening in the children's department. It's happening among the youth. We've got a window. I hope that you might serve in those areas. I trust as a staff we'll always be alert to pouring resources into those areas because we need to teach and we need to train our children early. They need to know the Scriptures from their children so that they might be made wise unto salvation. We will save ourselves a lot of heartache we will save our government a lot of money and we will save our children's future if we'll do the things that Proverbs encourages us to do. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and a message titled Keeping Dennis from Becoming a Menace, Part 2. If you'd like to revisit this message or share it with friends and family, visit ktt.org. And Philip will be back in a moment, so keep listening. Well, thanks for being with us today. If you stuck around this long, it's likely you value the wisdom God's Word provides and a desire to grow in your faith. At Know the Truth, we believe it's important to not only have biblical knowledge, but also wisdom and how to apply that knowledge. And that's what we hope to share in the next several weeks here at Know the Truth as we continue along in our study of Proverbs. We hope to reach as many listeners as possible. As one of our loyal listeners, we'd love if you joined hands with us in this gospel mission by becoming a Truth Ambassador. These monthly givers set up an automated gift of $25 or more and receive exclusive resources and messages from Philip in appreciation for their partnership. You can become a Truth Ambassador today or give a one-time gift of any amount by calling 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. As a thank you, you'll receive the book, What God Wants Every Dad to Know, The Most Important Principles You Can Teach Your Child. We'll also invite you to send a copy of Philip's book, Take Cover, to a friend to encourage them to find peace in God's protection. Again, call 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. Now, with a few closing remarks, here again is Pastor Philip. Hi, Philip DeCourcy, back again. I want to take a brief moment to tell you how you can stay connected with Know the Truth. 
You can visit us online at ktt.org, and there you'll find individual, instructive, and inspiring resources, like my Truth Matters devotional, which challenges believers to embrace God's unchanging Word in a changing world and live each day for His glory. You'll also find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages so that you can stay up to date on all things Know the Truth and easily share the gospel message with others. You can also download the KTT app or podcast for easy listening on the go. Just search the app store or podcasts for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Thank you, Philip. You can learn about all these resources and more at ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host. Join us again tomorrow as Philip DeCourcy continues the message titled Keeping Dennis from Becoming a Menace, Part 2. That's Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.